Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. This is episode 478 for April 15th, 2019. On today's show, pianist and vocalist Champion Fulton. Please support the show by becoming a member for just $5 a month at thejazzsession.com slash join. We're at the beginning of a membership campaign with the goal of making the show weekly by January 1st, 2020. To do that, we need to reach 200 members. We're currently at 33, thanks to Christian, our newest member. Again, visit thejazzsession.com slash join to become a member for just 5 bucks a month. Champion Fulton was last on the show in 2012, talking about her album The Breeze and I and giving us a look at her early life in music. Since then, I've seen her in New York City, I saw her at the Detroit Jazz Festival, I saw her in Alabama a few years ago, and now she's back with her 10th album, The Stylings of Champion, which starts like this. Isn't any end to my devotion. It's deeper, dear, by far than any ocean. I find that day by day you're making all my dreams come true. And come what may, I want you to know. yours alone and I'm in love to stay as we go through the years I'm excited to welcome back to the show Champion Fulton, whose latest album is The Stylings of Champion, and uh, she's just returned from uh, kind of her normal thing, which is uh, flying around the world and playing music for people. Champion, it's great to have you back on the show. Hi, Jason. Thank you. So where are you back from this time? It seems like I, I primarily keep up with you, you know, via social media, and of all the musicians I know, you seem to be one of the ones who is spending the most time on the road, in airplanes, uh, playing shows for people all over the world. Uh, where are you back from this time? Yeah, I just had a really nice, basically long weekend. Uh, we had two concerts in the UK and two concerts in Barcelona. Uh, and on Sunday, I was just, that was the UK. I was in Southport, uh, which is sort of near Liverpool. Uh, and I played, I had a totally wild Saturday night. We were in Barcelona. Sunday afternoon, we were in Southport. Um, and now I'm back home, so it all feels kind of like a dream. Wow, that that yeah. is quite a whirlwind trip. It was very, it was very whirlwind, but it was a lot of fun. It was nice. The weather, of course, in Barcelona was beautiful, and uh, the festival in Southport Jazz Festival was was very nice. And we had a concert on Thursday in the UK um, in Aylesbury, which is north of London. Uh, and I've done that concert series before, and they're lovely people. So it was a wonderful weekend. It was very quick. <laughs> Now, if we can uh, if we can talk 
uh, practical matters for for just a moment before we dig into the new mm-hmm. record. I, I'm curious. I, I don't see all of that many people in the jazz world who are kind of able to put together the touring schedule that you do. Are there any uh, is there a secret to how you're able to to travel so much? I mean, obviously, I know it's a lot of hard work. It's not it's not magic. But but what is it do you think about? the way you approach things that allows you to to get around so much to so many different audiences? Well, I think that sometimes I'm definitely over-ambitious in my scheduling, um, but I just tend to say, I tend to say yes to things. You know, if people go, oh, you're you're coming, I see you're coming to Barcelona, well, you know, would you like to also come to uh, the UK? I just go, sure, of course I would. Yeah, <laughs> I can, we can make that work. How hard know? could that be? <laughs> Yeah, like, oh, what, two flights and a three-hour car ride? No problem, you know. Um, I think, you know, I really, that's my mindset is just that I want to be on the road and I want to be traveling and I want to be playing. So I always want to say yes, and I always, you know, want to try to make it work. And so I I think I've been really lucky the past couple years. It's been uh, very busy with being on the road, and I think this year will be the same, you know, knock on wood. And, um I really, I love it and I enjoy it. And I think that has a lot to do with it. I love that uh, your microphone was, or your phone was just sensitive enough to actually pick up the sound of knocking. Cause some people say knock on wood and they don't do anything. <laughs> and I always think you're kind of tempting fate if you do, if you do that. So good you're for totally you. Tempting fate if you do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, you mostly travel with your band too, right? You don't just fly in and work with local rhythm sections. Is that usually the case? Mostly. Yeah, definitely in the state. Um, I usually travel with my band from New York and then sometimes they also come with me to Europe, but I also have a couple of bass and drums rhythm sections in Europe that I can use, um, like to do the whole tour with me. So this weekend I did the whole thing, uh, with one of the bands I use, which is Stephen Keogh on drums and Arnie Soma G on bass. And so even though they don't live here in New York, I work with them enough that it definitely feels like we're a band and I don't have to get off the plane, you know, worrying like, oh, what's going to happen? And where are they based? Um, Stephen actually lives in the south of Spain, and Arnie lives in the London area. Um, well, I also cool. have a few other rhythm sections over there. I have about two or three that I can, you know, use that I'm really familiar with and that we have a good time. And that kind of that really does kind of harken back to the way uh, certainly a lot of instrumental soloists used to, where they would, mm-hmm. you know, and I've, uh, I, I, this anecdote would be even stronger if I could remember who it was we were talking about. Oh, it was Art, uh, Art Farmer. I was talking with Dimitri Matheny mm-hmm. about Art Farmer, and he was saying that, you know, even in the U.S. when he would travel from coast to coast, and now Dimitri does the same thing, you know, he would have mm-hmm. a rhythm section on the West Coast and a rhythm section on the East Coast. Um it's it's kind of cool like that that is a that's a bit of a of a a classic way to travel that you're still finding success with yes i i i really think it it is part of sort of like the legacy and the tradition in the music and it's i think done um less and less sort of but i like being able to do it and keeping that keeping that going and it feels like um, you know, obviously your your New York band is is great and your your main group, but it feels like it might inject a little bit of freshness sometimes too into the music. Mm-hmm. It definitely can, and I think also, you know, I've each band sort of has different strengths, and so you know, I have different things that I different not necessarily different songs, but even for the same song, I might have two or three different arrangements that you know on this song we might feature this drummer, but if I play it 
in Spain, we might feature the bassist or something, you know, yeah. to sort of cater to everyone's unique sense of their music. Tell her you care Each time you speak Make it her birthday each day of the week Bring her nice things Sugar and spice things Roses and lollipops And lollipops and roses One day she'll smile Next day she'll cry Minute to minute you'll never her pet hair better yet get her roses and lollipops and lollipops and roses we try acting grown up but as a rule we're all little children You've been touring and playing in support of uh, the stylings of Champion, and uh, this is a kind of a milestone record for you. Isn't it? Yeah, I'm. I cannot believe it came out at the end of October, uh, which to me feels like yesterday because um, it's been so busy. But it's my tenth album as a band leader, which is, to me feels very exciting. Somehow feels really like, um, ten is sort of a not a not a monument but perhaps monumental in a way for me yeah um and and i'm i'm very happy with it that is 10 more albums than almost every person on earth will ever produce so that's that's yeah. pretty cool <laughs> <laughs> thank you <laughs> thank you so um will you talk about the about the repertoire and how you decided what was going to be on this album so um last year at the beginning of the year my new york band and i i had sort of a reunion so one of my first bands when I moved to New York was Fukushi Tanaka on drums, who I've worked with steadily for 15 years, um, and Hide Tanaka on bass. And, you know, I had gone through some different bands in the past five or six years, um, but last January we all worked together for one week here in New York at the Carlisle. And it was so great, and it really felt like a musical homecoming to come back to this band. And I thought, oh, we have to make a record, you know, like right away. And um, I, had a busy, I had a busy schedule, and we had a very nice May, where we were basically out of town for like 75% of May on the road. And at the end of it, I thought, you know what, we're going to go into the studio at the very end of this tour. It's going to be great. Um, and the repertoire came just from the tunes that we had been playing, like through the spring. So there's no theme to this record. There's, it's not the music of or anything like that. It's just songs that we... We're enjoying playing, um, featuring the different guys. And it was just, it felt so good. And it felt great in the studio, too. And so great, in fact, that we recorded um, 14 songs with the intention of releasing, you know, 10. And I just couldn't pick the ones I wanted to cut. Uh, And we were like, well, we could go back into the studio and finish it. And then we could have two discs, you know, two CDs. 
And I thought, no, but the energy of it is so nice from this one session. Uh, so we just released it as a two disc, as a two disc set. So it's, there are two discs in the album. Um, and I'm just really happy with it. How did the, the kind of homecoming show or, or run at the Carlisle come together in the first place? Mm-hmm. Did you did you just feel like, I'd like to play with these guys again, or how did that happen? Well, Fuku and I had been playing together again, um, sort of, I guess, maybe since the fall, but not in, not in a steady way, but we had a couple things going on. And, uh, you know, he kept saying, oh, you've got to call Hide, call Hide for a gig, call Hide for a gig. And I was like, okay, so then I got this sort of last minute the Carlisle called me. And I thought, oh, this is just a good opportunity, you know, because just it was sort of, I don't want to say random, but it, there was no big thinking behind sure. it. I just thought, oh, we'll just try it out. And, and Hide was available. And I said, oh, okay, great. You know, we'll, it was uh, five nights. Uh, right at the, I think we started January 2nd or something. And I said, well, let's be a nice way to start the new year. And then it just, it was just a really great feeling. Are they, I know Tanaka is like Smith in Japan, but are they brothers or are they just happen to have the same last name? It's slightly, they're not brothers. Okay. Um, they have a, it's slightly different. So it's Fukushi Tainaka. Oh, okay. Tanaka. Gotcha. Okay. But it's it's like Smith and Smythe. Or right, 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 right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. So you've, uh, unlike most people who are on this show, to be totally honest, you uh, you mm-hmm. play a lot of classic songs from uh, the great American Songbook, and you've mm-hmm. been doing that now for a long time. I mean, there are some of these songs that you must have played thousands of times, and I wonder now yeah. with your tenth record, do, do you feel like you've you've come to any kind of a, a different place, or have you seen your standard playing evolve, or have you learned any different things about how to approach this music, or even decided to approach it differently? not necessarily as growth, but just to try to change things up? Well, I think, I mean, you're totally right. But certainly, um, especially I'm looking at the record right now, you know, Darn That Dream is a song that I sang on my very first gig of my entire life. So, I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, I've played it probably tens of thousands of times. I know I've played it every day this weekend. Um, for me, I love the standards. You know, last year or a couple years ago, I released an album with all original songs. And we have, we do play some of my songs. We play some of my father Stephen's songs. Um, On this disc, we have a Cedar Walton composition. You know, we have an arrangement by Buster Williams. We have a lot of different kinds of repertoire. But I like the harmonic structure of sort of the Tin Pana Alley standards, you know, um, and even later, you know, of Cole Porter and things like that. And I think there is room, really, for infinite growth and creativity within the framework of those standards. And I certainly do think that I have grown, and I hope I, you know, still uh, continue to grow playing them. Um, But I don't necessarily approach them in, in a different way. I will say with this band, I have found a lot more freedom, um, just because we're so close, like we're so connected that we don't have to play everything the same way. You know, if I choose to make a left turn, uh, you know, the guys are like, oh, yeah, okay, no problem. We'll go here, you know. And and not everything has to be so meticulously rehearsed or discussed. So I, I do feel, I feel very free and very creative right now with this band. Darn that dream 
I dream each night You say you love me Let's take a break from the music to talk about membership. For the jazz session to become weekly, I need to get to 200 subscribers. I think we can make that happen by the end of this year. We're just over 16% of the way there now, thanks to our 33 current members, which is awesome. Big thanks to Christian, the newest member of the jazz session. Christian and the show's other members help me keep documenting the stories of the people who make this music we love, which I've been doing since 2007, long before anybody else was making jazz interview podcasts. Now it's time for you to be like Christian. It's awesome that you listen, even awesomer if you join. Here's how it works. You go to thejazzsession.com slash join. $5 a month gets you a bonus episode and a yearly gift. Go to thejazzsession.com today, click the join button, and become a member. Thanks. Now back to the show. Darn that one track Mind of mine It can't understand That you Just don't care So do you find, uh, for example, you said you played Darn That Dream at each of the shows mm-hmm. on this little whirlwind weekend tour, uh, given that freedom, do you find that you can play it, you know, three nights in a row or three gigs in a row, and it sounds you find something different each night? Yeah, definitely. Um, especially, you know, um, maybe the, the tempo is different each night. You know, um, sometimes I play it super slow. Sometimes more like a dance tempo. Sometimes even, um, you know, we. And the, the tempo can change the mood of the whole thing and the way you approach it. We play it in different keys. You know, I feel very comfortable with that song, um, with, with many songs, but I feel like I can play it in however I want to play it in that moment. I, and I don't, I don't like playing things the same way every time, even though maybe it's the same song. Um, I like the freedom to, to play how I feel then. Will you talk a little bit about your approach to arranging when you when you sit down to figure out how a song is going to sound on a record? Uh, mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about what you go, what approach you take, what what system you use, what patterns you go through? Well, it's definitely. Um, I would say I don't really sit down um, most of the time. It's more of how a song will evolve over you know over a series of gigs or over you know, over a few months of playing it every day. I mean, usually the first time I play it, and often many times I play it, there's no arrangement. You know, I'll say, oh, well, uh, maybe I'll play an intro, or maybe not, or maybe drums, or maybe bass. And then usually just an idea will come to me while we're playing it, or one of the guys will play something, and I'll think, that's cool. Like, let's use that again. And then and then it sort of builds. And I like them build 
um, in an organic way. So this weekend, um, we were we were sound checking, and Stephen started to play sort of um, kind of like a, a sort of a twelve eight like Art Blakey rhythm on the drums, and I was just listening to him, and and in my mind I thought that's cool, you know, we should we should use that for something, and then I just started hearing you'd be so nice to come home to, you know. And I thought, oh, let's do that. And then we'll start with a pedal here. And then maybe here we'll transition into swing, you know. And, and we just, we played it every day. And every day afterwards, I would say, I liked this part, but let's change this part. And then, you know, by Sunday, it was really a nice arrangement. Um, but I, I work like that more on the bandstand with the guys than at home, just thinking by myself. And as you describe that, it seems like you you really uh, benefit, and I guess it's not a coincidence, that you've set up this life for yourself where you play so frequently, uh, you know, which is kind of another yeah. hallmark of how jazz music used to be and and how it is kind of less these days, where you just get a group of people together who play night after night after night, and by the end of, you know, a few weeks, the music has completely changed from what it was on the first night. It's often mm-hmm. hard to find the luxury of doing that, uh, you know, in today's jazzy, but it seems like you've created a life for yourself where figuring songs out that way is something you actually can do because you play enough. Yes. And you're right. It's something that I think people don't get the opportunity to do um, as much anymore. But for me, I couldn't do it any other way. I just feel that, and not that I don't, not that I don't practice, but the real growth in the music and the real creative growth comes um, from playing with my band and from having an audience and from and having, you know, also their ideas, you know, before when we were making the record, um, you know, not, most people don't really love to rehearse. Like if somebody says, oh, let's get a rehearsal. You're like, oh, great. You know? <laughs> Fun. You know? I mean, because it's, you got to go out of your way. It's during the day. You have other things to do. Uh, and rehearsal dynamics can be odd because maybe you want to tell the drummer, oh, don't do that, you know, and then they're offended, you know, and so, but we were, in, in the spring, we had already set up this tour and we were talking about the record and, you know, Hude and Fuku came to me and they were like, why don't we rehearse twice a week? You know, and I'm like, great, really? I, you guys playing a joke on me? Like, you want to rehearse? <laughs> you know, and so we would meet for a couple hours, like, I think it was on Mondays and, and maybe it was Mondays and Fridays uh, in the afternoon and we would just play songs and... And Hide might come in and say, I had an idea, listen to my idea, you know, or we'd play through something. And, and so it, it just grew like that. And I think, I think it's really important to the music to have it be more uh, organic in that way. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly, that's certainly how it became what it is now. Yeah, exactly. And, and you also need the audience, too, like for their energy and their, what, you know, what they respond to, you know, to see not to see if it's good, but to see if it's, you know, working like, Oh, is this, is this as cool as I think it is? You know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in a lot of ways, that's almost like a stand up comedy approach to things too, where you, you know, you kind of workshop things and if people respond, then that stays in. And if they don't, then you figure out a different way to tell the story. Right. Unless you're really committed to it. I mean, we've had some tunes that I know like weren't audience favorites and I'm just like, yeah, I still have it. We're going to do it. (laughs) We're playing it anyway. That's right. They'll like they'll like the rest. Um, So after all these years on the road, have you seen any kind of change in your audience and who comes to shows? Um, 
not really. I mean, after all these years, I do see a lot of the same people, which makes it very nice. Like, I love to be able to go back to a place and see, you know, my my same uh, audience, my same friends, and to stay in touch and sort of develop, you know, relationships with them. Um, but I think it's more about like, sort of the geography where you see different audiences. You know, in Spain, the audiences were very young. And as usual, a lot of girls, young girls, you know, slightly younger than me, they're with each other, just groups of girls, which I feel like you don't see a lot of maybe here in New York. Yeah, that's um, you cool. Know, and, then in the, and then in the UK, you know, the audiences are typically a little bit older and more, you know, heavily male-centric. And I, I think it just kind of depends on where you're going. Um, and I think it also depends on... Uh, you know, your social media presence, because I think that's how young audiences find you. And do you get the impression Um, that the younger folks are like music students or just, are they just fans of the music who happen to be young? They're not always music students. In fact, I would say I wish more music students would come out to concerts. I I feel like they don't come um, as much as they should, especially like when you're on the road and you go somewhere and you think, well, like, like I know there's a jazz school here, you know, where are they? Yeah. Um, but for me, I think they're just young people who like music and I don't even think they're necessarily, you know, jazz fans. Um, but I think in my case, a lot of people see me and they think, Oh, you know, here's a young girl. Um, that's different, you know, a young girl playing piano and singing, like, that's a little bit different. I'm a young girl. Maybe I'll like it. I'm going to go. Um, but I don't I don't think they're jazz students or even necessarily jazz fans. I think they're just people looking to have, you know, a, a good good time, really. And I will just say for folks, uh, we're not going to talk a lot about your your starting out history because we've already done that. Um, so folks can mm-hmm. go to thejazz.com and listen to the archived interview. But um, I will just uh, recall that you grew up in, you know, obviously in a jazz house with a father who's a jazz musician. You were you got to meet famous jazz musicians as a kid. Uh, you've essentially been in the jazz world, you know, from birth to now, and you do it professionally. Do you have friends who don't really? 
like the kind of music you play and who you all, but you hang out with anyway? And like, do they think what you do is odd or are all, is everyone you know in the jazz world? I mean, I would say, you know, in a large part, like 90, like what, 98% of my life is this music. Either my friends are, you know, fans of the music or they're musicians or, you know, um, people who are connected to the music in some way. Um, but my best, my best friend who I, I went to high school with in Oklahoma, um, you know, she's not a jazz musician. She's a journalist. And when we met, even though I was working gigs, I mean, we were 14. So, um, and I think, I think that, yeah, I think people think life is strange. And I, for her, I mean, it's been now so many years, but it's, I think it's still an unusual thing. And I think it is an unusual thing. I mean, cause I travel and it's, it's erratic and it's, there's no set schedule and, you know, and often the days are, uh, you know, grueling and people are like, Oh, you were in London. Did you see this? Did you see that? I'm like, I saw the airport. I saw the inside of the car, the gig. And the airport again. <laughs> you know, I didn't see right. I was in London for four um, hours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, and it's it's different, but I think, I think maybe it does make it hard to connect with people um, who don't understand the music. But it's not it's not impossible. You know. I just and I asked that question partly out of self interest because. Um, uh, people often ask me what I do, and I say, uh-huh. well, I host a podcast where I interview musicians, and I do a lot of writing for musicians. And they say, oh, cool, like who? And then, uh-huh. unfortunately, I'm forced to say at that point, well, it's jazz musicians. And then almost everyone I've ever been having that conversation with, you can, like, watch their eyes glaze over, and they're just like, oh, well, I yeah. don't care about that at all. And I think we fall, you know, you kind of fall prey to the the classic, like, well, I don't like jazz because people just, mm-hmm. you know, don't really actually know what it is. And there's, they've yeah. never, no one's ever tried to help them figure it out. I feel like in, I mean, it seems like in your case, you, uh, at the risk of using the word accessible, which is often used kind of pejoratively, I think you have made mm-hmm. yourself and your music pretty accessible to folks. Like you, you don't, Although your playing is a very high level, I don't think you set a high bar for entry to people. Like that, I don't get the no. impression that you, you know, people think they have to know the secret handshake to go to one of your shows. And I think that that makes a real difference. Yeah, I mean, I thank you for saying that because that is how I feel. You know, and people say to me, "Oh, I don't like jazz," and I said, "That's okay. You know, that's fine. But like, you should, you know, but I think you'll still like this. You know, yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's okay. Like that's." That's fine. And you don't have to, and you don't have to know a lot about it. Um, I know that I would say a majority of my fans are not people who are hardcore jazz fans. Like they're not reading downbeat, you know, um, they're not listening to the jazz radio, you know, but they like my music and maybe I can turn them on to something else. And they like that too. Um, but yeah, the jazz world has sort of become, like you said, like as if a secret handshake is needed when I don't, I don't think that that's true. So, Champion, if people are listening to this uh, at or around the time that it comes out, it's the beginning of May 2019. And uh, where can uh, folks uh, in this country or around the world see you live? Well, in May, I'm going to be in the States. We're going to be um, kind of in the eastern seaboard, having stuff going down, uh, D.C., Baltimore, here in New York. And then we're going to be on the West Coast. I'm going to be playing at Coamba for the first time in Santa Cruz, San Francisco, L.A., um, a lot of nice things about a week or 10 days out in California. And then in the summer, um, I will mostly be in Europe. I know we're going to be in Italy, France, Spain, um, 
still putting all that stuff together, but I'll be in Europe most of the summer. And I have a show with Bria Sconberg also um, on June 8th here in New York on The Intrepid, which I think will be really fun. Bria has a new project uh, called Sisterhood of Swing, which is an all-female big band. We did some stuff last summer, and we're going to do some stuff again this summer. You you uh you glided over the venue, but did you say on the Do you mean like the the aircraft carrier did, or whatever yes. it is? That's on the on the aircraft carrier on the Hudson River here in New York. I mean, you know, uh, God willing that it doesn't rain, uh, but it shouldn't in June. I've actually never been on the Intrepid, so when she called me for it, I was like, "Cool, that'll be fun." <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I I have been on the Intrepid, but I don't know if I knew that they uh, did jazz shows. <laughs> On the deck of the aircraft they carrier. Do. That's pretty they awesome. Do a, they do a jazz concert series in the summer. I didn't know it either. That's wild. Um, but evidently it's a thing. So uh, we're going to be there. But as always, you can always find out my, my schedule on my website, which is champion.net. And also I'm on all social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. And I keep the schedule kind of posted everywhere. So come find me. You are in uh, Europe for those summertime shows. Is that mostly in a festival setting? Um, usually it's about half and half um, with festivals and clubs. Because um, there's, you know, there's quite a few nice jazz clubs in Europe. Um, and we kind of, those are usually in between uh, the festival dates. And then also a lot of the festivals in Europe are not like how I used to think of a festival, like a weekend with a bunch of bands. Um, yeah, you know, in Spain, they'll have the Barcelona Jazz Festival. It's like two weeks long, and there are concerts mostly indoors. Gotcha. Um, and so it, it's just, it's a lot of uh, festival venues and things like that. But we also play a lot of clubs. Because in the beginning, when I would go to Europe, I would have two or three days off here, two or three days off there. And it was really fun. Uh, but I told my agent after a while, like, I can't do this anymore because all I do is shop, and I'm spending all my money. <laughs> You come like, home with less than you left with. Yeah, I'm like, you know, like, this is too many days off. It's like I really cursed myself because now I get none. So, like, when I go, um, well, I will have been there in March, uh, and it's three weeks with one day off. In the middle. Oh, wow. Like three weeks of one-nighters with one day off. I, I, now we've gone in the other direction. <laughs> what do you do to take care of your voice when you're playing a schedule like that? Well, you start off healthy. Um, is a big thing I've learned. I take a lot of vitamins here at home and drink a lot of water and try to keep the voice pretty... I mean, I rest it, but I also try to keep it from not getting too rested. You know, I try to sing. And then on the road, again, just vitamins and water, not a lot of drinking. I don't smoke. Um, but rest is really the thing that you kind of have to do. And it can be hard because I love to talk and when you travel all day with your band, you know, you're talking and you're telling jokes and, and then you get to the gig and then you sound check and then you sing the gig. And if you do it too many days in a row with too much activity, I can get kind of tired. So I, I just try to make sure I sleep and, and rest when I can. Have you ever had to, to cancel a show because you lost your voice? No. Um, a few years ago, we were in Scotland. We had a really crazy summer and it was back and forth. We were in like Africa south of Spain and then we ended up in Scotland where it was kind of cold actually and um, I ended up sick and I lost my voice um, but I told the presenter well, I can still we can still do the gig because I can still play piano if everyone's okay with that and, and that's what we did it's not ideal 
Um, but that's I right. Like I momentarily gonna... forgot that you had something else to do on stage. That that yeah, was obviously <laughs> you're a piano player, so there have been jazz gigs done without singing before. I guess come yeah. to think of it. Uh, but uh, but it's not ideal because sure, people sure. definitely you know want to to hear the singing. But I can always still do something which is better than nothing. I think most presenters agree. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. days have grown so lonely for you I cry for you Just to come back to the stylings of Champion again, as you as you look at that uh, song list and think about the things that ended up on there and the maybe the arrangements mm-hmm. they ended up in, are, is there anything that kind of surprises you in the way it sounds on the album, or maybe something you wouldn't have expected yourself to pick for it, or anything like that? I think it's all it all kind of you know not to jinx myself because I feel like this is not really always the case, but it all came out the way I kind of wanted it to come out. You know, I mean. Um, I think my favorite thing on the record is I really love I Only Have Eyes For You, um, our arrangement on that. And I really loved the I Didn't Know What Time It Was, which is arranged by Buster Williams. Um, but I'm I'm very happy with, um, perhaps this is the, the odd thing. I think I'm very happy with my piano playing. Um, and normally I really am happy with my singing and I'm like, oh, piano playing sounds good. You know, that sounds fine. But on a couple of these cuts, I'm like, wow, piano playing like sounds Really good, though, yeah. You know, I, mean, I just feel good about it. Sometimes That's awesome. Arrogant, you know, but you you want to be happy with the things that you produce, you know. And I think it's a nice feeling to have everything come together because really, it's just a six-hour session. So to have everyone feel good and play good and be creative, you know, four different people to meet and just do that over six hours, it takes a lot of things to fit into place. So I feel like when that happens, it's really special. How did the uh, Buster Williams arrangement come about? Was that something that existed out in the world and, and you played it, or did he do it for this record? How did that happen? He arranged, I didn't know what time it was, um, for the band Sphere, uh, which was Charlie Rouse, Kenny Barron himself, and Ben Riley, which is one of my favorite bands. I never saw them live, but I have all their records. Uh, and there's some bootlegs on YouTube also. Um, and I just have always really been obsessed with that. I mean, Buster is my favorite bass player, so I've always I have a lot of Buster Williams records. And 
I, you know, I talked to Buster about that arrangement and I wanted to sing it. And he was kind of like, really? Like, he, yeah, I think he thought it was a little crazy because we had to change the key. And he's like, oh, it's not going to work in the other key because of the way it lays on the bass. And I was like, well, I said, we're going to find a key, you know. And um, I, we just started doing it. And it's complicated. Uh, and it's the piano role is very specific and the, mel- the, mel- the melody role, which is the singing role, is very specific. Um, and it just finally started to come together. And one day we were playing it on a Facebook Live and Buster was watching. Oh, wow. And, and Buster was like, oh, man, like, cool. You know, like, it's work. You know, it works, whatever. And, and I was like, yeah, I felt so good about that. And um, so we, you know, I asked him if I could record it. And he said, yes. And, um, yeah, that's kind of that's kind of fun because I love that band's fear and sort of getting to sing an arrangement that's an instrumental arrangement uh, and written by one of my friends is like really fun. Apparently Facebook still does have some positive qualities. And one of them is that occasionally Buster Williams will watch you play and give you the blessing. It's true. It's true. I couldn't believe it. I really love doing my Facebook lives. You never know who's going to watch. You never know. That is so true. That is so true. Yeah. So champion, where can people pick up the new album, the stylings of champion? Well, it is on all digital uh, streaming and downloading platforms, and it's also available in Squarm, which you should get because it's two discs. It's cool packaging um, on Amazon, uh, CD Baby, um, and through my website for an autographed copy, which is champion.net. And would I be right in guessing that perhaps also at your shows? Oh, yes. I should have said that. (laughs) Yes. Yes. At my shows. Definitely at my shows. Because then people can kill two birds with one stone. So, and they can get it autographed Absolutely. and all that stuff. So. I always have everything at my shows. Awesome. We got a whole store. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, uh, my guest is Champion Fulton. The new album is The Stylings of Champion. It's her 10th record, which is uh, very impressive. Champion, uh, it's been seven years. Let's not make it so long until the next time. And uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to do it. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Jason. It was nice talking to you. And that's the show. Thanks to Champion Fulton for being my guest. Thanks to the Respect Sextet for the theme music. They're online at respectsextet.com. Dave Rabel designed the logo. The Jazz Session is on all your favorite social medias and also Facebook, facebook.com slash thejazzsession. Twitter at jazzsesh, J-A-Z-Z-S-E-S-H. Instagram at thejazzsession. You can find me personally on Twitter and Instagram at Jason D. Crane and at your dad's BMX. Please do rate and review the show in Apple Podcasts or wherever you get the show. It really does help. There's a newsletter that I send out every two weeks. You can find it by clicking on the mailing list link at thejazzsession.com. Don't forget to become a member at thejazzsession.com slash join. It's just five bucks a month. New episodes come out on the 1st and the 15th. On May 1st, my guest will be guitarist and vocalist Camila Meza. Come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session.
you for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.